0: Tuesday afternoon. And so Tuesday afternoons matter too, don't they? So today uh, we had promised that we were going to talk about the Supreme Court uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. And um, so we actually, usually it's just JD and I, and we talk about our sermons that we did last Sunday. I didn't preach last Sunday. Uh, you did. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Went great. Yeah, it was good to
1: be here at Blue Mountain and see a lot of old familiar faces. I had a good time.
0: And today we have a guest with us visiting. Uh, this is Leslie, my wife Leslie, and uh, she is sitting here. Uh, and she, uh, we've asked her to come along and be a part of our conversation uh, for two reasons. One of the one of the things is uh, it's it's helpful to have a female perspective, but not just a female perspective, but an informed, a theologically informed female perspective. And so Leslie is also. Uh, has her master's degree from, se- from a seminary, on uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary. And uh, so it's good to have you, Leslie, here on Monday Matters on Tuesday afternoon. So, yeah.
1: Why did we think it was so important to talk about this? Because I know you and I, we, our podcast episode last week, we almost got into it. So before we started recording, we almost got into it. But we were like, no. First off, why are we doing this? Second off, why did we wait a week?
0: Yeah, so I, I think the reason I wanted to wait a week really had to do with um really had to do with the fact that I wanted to be able to think through uh the issue because when when did what day did that uh come down the the Roe v. Wade being overturned in the Supreme Court? That was like a Thursday or I think so. It's almost two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, it was it was yeah. pretty late in the week and then um it just seemed like I, I wanted to take a little bit of more a little bit more time. A little bit of more time. Mm. And <laughs> and think a little bit more about it and, and really focus on it rather than it just sliding into our regular conversation and kind of hijacking things because if I don't think something through, I'm gonna say something I regret every that's time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's that was the reason why. So uh but but what I thought um you know this it's this landmark uh overturning of roe v wade uh it's been the law of the land for 50 years that that it was protected um the the supreme court said that I- about 50 years ago and and now it was overturned and so uh we're we're waking up with a new reality and uh several of the states have have said that we're going to uh outlaw abortion in their state and other states have said no we're going to uh, expand, you know, our capacities so that we can um, help states perform. I mean, s- so people from other states can come and and be have an abortion there or something like that. So what I did was I did a little research, um, and and I'm going to throw some of this stuff out and just see what your thoughts are are on some of these things. Uh, eva- evangelical Protestants. This is according to a Pew study that was done, um, that it was just it was just published. Um, in USA Today uh, last month on the 27th. uh, So this is what Americans were thinking last month before this all happened. Uh, Evangelical Protestants, 63% oppose legal abortion. Uh, Evangelical Protestants. Mainline Protestants, uh, 33% opposed legal abortion. Um, what's the difference between a mainline Protestant and an evangelical Protestant? Anybody want to?
1: So the big difference is there's just there's way too many denominations <laughs> in, the, in the Protestant tradition. But mainline, that's going to be more your Presbyterian. Certain, and even along mainline denominations, they've split and schismed into PCUSA, which is more mainline liberal, versus PCA, which is more uh, conservative. But, yeah, so mainline is going to be your Presbyterians, your Lutherans. Um, you're Methodists, whereas Evangelical, you're going to be getting more of your Baptists, your non-denominational. Um, so a lot of that has to do with sort of history um, and liturgy. And there's, yeah, I, that's just in my head. I think the denominations in which camp are they in? Are they mainline or are they not mainline? You know, are they evangelical? So it's, yeah, and mainline tend to swing on the political spectrum. And that's the harsh reality and the sad reality, in my opinion of how the church and why the church is declining is because the mainline tradition has really tied itself to you know liberal politics and the liberal agenda and then evangelical christianity has more tied itself to conservative politics and that agenda and it's that statistic shows it right there too you know the 63 versus 33 or whatever that's a pretty wide split yeah for two different groups of protestants but i don't know did i miss anything there no
2: but no? i didn't even underlying the, the problem even more that the church has aligned with a political mm. idea. Mm. That's a problem.
1: Oh yeah. I'm going to be excited to get into <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> I would be really curious yeah. to know the sample size of that oh, yeah. research.
0: That's a great question. I could, I could probably look it up, but I can't write off hand. Um, but it, but it is a, a Pew study. So I'm sure that they have all the details. Um,
1: do you think it would be good if we all just went around with just views and thoughts? So what what did you think the second that it happened, you know, once that decision came through, what did you think and why did you think that? Like, what was your initial reaction? And then what's sort of your approach to how we should approach the subject? I don't know. It's we could, you know, it's it's going to be hard to just dive right in. I can start, too, if you want me to. Sure. Or I'll, Okay, am I so, going to put
0: myself on the spot? Well, it sounds like you're putting us on the spot. So, don't, <laughs> so you want don't me to put, put myself
1: on the spot? Um, okay, so when it comes uh, to abortion, it's it's just a really, really hard issue. It's something that—so I have friends, you know, after traveling around so much, going to seminary, I have friends that are in those mainline, much more liberal swings, as well as friends who are conservative. I saw several Facebook posts, um, and the world exists beyond Facebook, but that's just the initial reaction. Several Facebook posts where you have seminarians who, you know, are following the same Jesus, but they're, you know— if I saw several posts rub rub victory running a victory lap, right like oh, it's finally life wins, stuff like that, running a victory lap, and then I saw other posts like "This is terrible, you know, taking away my right uh, to choose, et cetera, et cetera, and then what would happen is people would be commenting on them, um, people would be getting into debates into you know hostile interactions um and Facebook is sort of just a microcosm of reality, and yeah. so i I haven't experienced as intense conversations in real life as I, you know, cause Facebook under the veil of online, people are sometimes willing to be a little bit more blunt. Uh, but it just seems very hostile, right? So it seems yeah. like a very, very hostile environment. And so it's the kind of thing that we do need to address and have this, you know, conversation. Um, once it happened, I had already written my sermon for that Sunday. Um, but I'm going to share what I said cause I wanted to touch on it. And so what's really important to me and it's sort of what we sort of hinted at is how Religions, you know, the Christian religion is aligning itself with political parties, and that's part of the one of the big reasons for its downfall. Um, Going back to Jesus's time, the Romans persecuted the Jews terribly. Um, So a little background on that massacred Jews. Jesus grew up about 15 minutes away from Sepphoris, which is a city where they burned absolutely to the ground about 20 years before his death. Um, and so Jesus was very, very aware of political persecution. He was persecuted. He was part of the oppressed people that were being ruled over. Uh, And the Jews had several different political parties, you know, during that time. And this is what I shared at church. You know, you had the Sadducees, uh, who were sort of the rich class. They sort of stayed removed so that they could maintain power, but they were really, really rich. You had the Pharisees who wanted to sort of maintain the Jewish culture, maintain the Jewish religion, sort of the purists. Um, which would, I would say, aligned, those are probably most aligned Pharisees with evangelical conservative. Um, You had your Essenes, which were separatists. So that's more similar to Mormonism, uh, to nowadays Mennonite. I I don't want to characterize, but there's similarities. You know, history repeats itself. So the Essenes, what they did is they literally sort of left society and made their own little colony. They said, if the Romans are going to persecute us and these political things we don't like happen, we're just going to remove ourselves and live in a holy community fully separate from the world. You had your zealots. Uh, They went and they were killing the Romans. Hostile, you know, hostile action, hostile against, uh, very politically activist. And then you had your Herodians. And so they were the ones that just accepted money and became sort of the actual ruling class de facto. Jesus had friends amongst all five of those people groups. Simon the Zealot was one of his disciples. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a Pharisee that Jesus was friends with. Um, You know, Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, he was constantly interacting and engaging with all these people groups, uh, and Jesus was not one of those five. You know, Jesus was very intentionally not political um, by name and by policy, um, even when he was trying to be trapped, you know, with the question of do you pay taxes to Caesar or God. So anyways, uh, first off, I think we need to lay the ground basis that the church's role is not political. And as we talk today, my perspective is really influenced by Bonhoeffer, a theologian in Germany, as Germany, uh, as Hitler rose to power and the Nazis started persecuting the Jews, um, Bonhoeffer, you know, he was in the midst of you know much more hostile environment than we are today. Of how does the church interact with politics? Um, but yeah, first and foremost, the church aligning itself with one of these parties. It wasn't Jesus the zealot. It wasn't Jesus the Pharisee. And if it's J.D. the Republican, J.D. the Trump supporter. J.D. the Biden supporter, J.D. the liberal, I don't want that to be a part of my identity. Yeah. I want to be J.D. the Jesus follower. And if we're constantly talking about these policy issues uh, as things that are most important to us, as the hills we're willing to die on, as the posts we make on Facebook, what we talk about in conversation, we're totally missing the point. So I have more to say, but I'm going to cut off right there because I want to hear your guys' <laughs> that I, was just my I initial I want you to reaction. actually
2: answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah you dodged you, that really You said, nicely. the question was, what was your reaction? Mm. So what was
1: my your rea- reaction? My honest was? reaction was anything I hear, anything in the news, I think this is going to drive more and more people away from the church. Mm. So that's just my initial reaction is I see the church completely crumbling and falling, especially amongst people my age. Who you look at people my age, you, know, you look at the rise of the nuns, agnostics, atheists, so high amongst people under 30. And these kinds of things, anything political, w- whether it goes either way, you know, Roe v. Wade is codified. It's not codified. It doesn't matter which way it swings. Um, Because religion is involved in politics, younger generation will see religious people talking about it, whether it's one way or the other, and it turns people away from Jesus. So I didn't really care as much about the decision itself. I was just sort of like, I don't know know if hurting is the right word, but sort of just sad that it's like, I know that this is going to drive a lot of people I know away from jesus or it's going to make it harder for them to come back to jesus because of the comments that are being said by supposed jesus followers who Mm -hmm. have proclaimed that they're following jesus but then then instead of actually following jesus's footsteps they're becoming political activists Mm -hmm. so i was sort of just sad um at the decision yeah wow
2: and to just clarify the rise of the nuns yes you Mean. N o n e s. Yep. Not <N-U-N-S. laughs> N-O- i love
1: n u n s too. Got a lot of a few friends that are nuns, but n o n e s. And so that's yeah. Atheists, agnostics, um, those people who,
2: who claim no religious affiliation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is more frequent now than Christians. I, I saw some statistic for the first time in like kids under the age of eighteen. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, but it's real with all the kids I know with people my age my brother's age my sister's age talking to them hearing stories it's it's very real the statistics there's people behind them um, so yeah it's
0: just it's sad but so Leslie what was your first what was your gut reaction whenever you heard that
2: it's funny that you asked that because I feel the emotion rising hmm. even um, like I'm like okay don't cry <laughs> absolutely heartbroken yeah um, for All kinds of reasons. But I think... So while you were on Facebook, I was following Twitter. And Twitter (laughs) was vicious. Um, And...
0: Vicious toward...
2: Everybody. Everybody. Everybody was angry. It just didn't matter. And I... So my initial reaction, I knew it would be turned... I knew it was going that direction. And my reaction, again, very um, saddened. I don't even know if I have a word. Despair? I don't think it's despair, but it was so, um, to see a divided country further divided and to see just the animosity of people toward another human being for having a different set of ideas or beliefs, Mm -hmm. very strong ones. Um, I really needed to, gosh, after about two or three days of nothing but Twitter horror, horror, Mm -hmm. um, I had to uh, delete the app and just take some time and and get away from it all because there were no conversations happening. There was just vitriol and name-calling and way worse than that and so uh, and then you know people saying if you don't believe the way I do just stop following me I'm like we have got to be able to have conversations with people who vote differently than we do Um, I mean I have deep-seated beliefs about life and the sanctity of life I also have deep-seated beliefs about caring for people, caring for women. Um, Too many stories to count of women who've chosen abortion, women who've chosen to have their children, women who've chosen adoption. Men who have gotten women pregnant and just taken off. Um, So I think the, the soup is, you know, the the water's muddy, we'll go with, you know, and there is no, there's no clarity. Um, so my initial reaction was, I don't know, I don't even still have a word for it, because mm. I can, I have a hard time even talking through those feelings. It's just very unclear to me. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, uh, I'm f-
2: embarrassed. Oh. Let me say that. I'm embarrassed by the response of people who call themselves Christians regardless of how they have responded because I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing a response of love Hmm. in many directions, Mm -hmm. if any. And that is probably a strong word, but I will own that for my own self. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that and uh, having the courage even to share, <laughs> you know, from, from your heart piece. Uh, so, you know, as I think about, uh, my initial reaction, uh, so I, I would, I would categorize myself pretty strongly in, in what I would call the pro-life camp. Um, and yet, um, I didn't feel like this was some huge victory um, in some way. And partly because I've heard people describe, you know, the the initial Roe v. Wade uh, decision 50 years ago as – the people didn't vote on it, it was it was handed down by the court. And so now suddenly the court has said, this is what's legal, this is what's not. And then it's the same exact thing in reverse now. It's not the people that decided anything, it's the court decided it. And the people are, <laughs> it, it was kicked down the road 50 years is what happened, is that decision was kicked down the road 50 years. And it's not settled. I mean, at this point, and we know that. It's, it's probably never going to be settled in our lifetimes. Um, so, um, now, now I say, um, you know, that, that I, I land in the pro-life camp, um, that doesn't mean I don't have compassion or feelings or understanding for, um, the other camp either. And so, um, I, I find myself, um, a little bit terrified of this conversation even um, partly because I don't want to be labeled or discarded or um canceled or or that kind of thing because um because I think it is an important conversation that we need to be do we, we need to have rationally and and um and, and so most political conversations I'll will avoid when it comes to church kind of stuff. You know, if you're gonna talk to me about um I don't know, let's get something that's really innocuous, Uh, speed limit. Bear hunting. Bear hunting, okay. Yes, (laughs) thank you. Bear hunting was um, outlawed in, spring bear hunting was outlawed in Washington. Um, Do I think the church has any business addressing that? No, I don't, because to me that doesn't feel like a theological issue, And, and that's important too, that I said to me it doesn't feel like Um, But to me, this uh, this particular topic feels like a theological topic. And it feels like a theological topic because all of the religions talk about when life starts, um, when uh, when when a body is ensouled, that kind of thing. Um, And and part of the reason we're so um, up in arms about this is because it's a theological thing, Um, because it's God is. Inserted in the conversation, um, at least on one side. So what does it mean to you that it's a
1: theological topic? So it's a theological topic, and I would wager that you could sit down with someone and not talk about abortion, but say, hey, do you believe that life, humanity, is holy? I'm pretty sure you could get 99.9% of people probably do agree with you besides the one or two cynic, you know? So what does it mean how do you take something that's a theological topic? And I'm just curious what your what your opinion, what your imperative is. So it's a theological topic. What does that mean, though? So, like, how do we act on that? How does that affect you and your ministry, you sure. know, as head pastor of Blue Mountain Community Church, both, you know, outside of your job as well, you know, as Jim, the citizen? How does—yeah, so it's a theological issue for you. But then what does that mean?
0: Yeah. Um. So So bear hunting— to- totally, you know that that is that is something that, I mean, I might talk about bear hunting how unsuccessful I've been at it, or something like that at church, but it that's not something that um, that really should be addressed from the pulpit. That's not mm-hmm. that's not a uh, an issue that um, I don't know has any bearing on. Um, on our morality, on our on our um, souls, or anything like that. But but the issue of abortion, there's implications, and, and I'm not going to even tell you that I have it down mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people, in very informed people, who are going to look at the same stuff I look at, and they're going to land in the other side, the other camp. And so I want to I want to be um, gracious to to. Well, I'll try to be gracious and and, and say, hey, I, I want to hear that and understand their side too. And so I, I kind of brought some stuff with me. Um, I don't. Did I answer your question or did I avoid it too? Sort So you're saying that to you, this is important enough of an issue where you think it does belong in church conversation from the pulpit. Well, I think it's it's in everybody's conversation, you know, and because it's in everybody's conversation, um, it probably. Yeah, I mean, it definitely belongs yeah. in, in church. Now, there's some things that get into everybody's conversation that don't matter. You know, who won the yeah. Super Bowl? It doesn't matter. You know, there's no theological bearing yeah. on on that. Oh, what are you laughing about over there? Depends I did, I, on who
2: you are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, I disagree with that. I can see where you're coming from, but I, I don't think it belongs in church conversation.
0: Oh, okay. Say more. Just because
1: and I was really struggling actually on how to sort of verbalize this because I'm sort of, you know, so not all of you necessarily know, I'm just like really anti-government. I'm sort of just, I think that we need to be not talking about it, not, you know, we need to be doing what we can with the people that live around us with what we're doing because we can't really, I don't know, and it all has to do with how I, you know, see the church's role in society. And what was really reading Bonhoeffer, what I've really taken away from that Is that it's not the church's role to have opinions on policy, but rather the church's role to have opinions on value, you know, goodness, if that makes sense. So, abortion. There are so many things in the Bible that the Bible is very explicit on that you and I would agree with. For example, that divorce is terrible. And yet, we aren't trying to pass a law that outlaws divorce you know, even though marriage, one of the first things that we see in Genesis, one of the holiest things, one of the holiest unions that you can make, and yet Christian divorce rates are pretty much, it might be a little bit lower, but pretty much the same as, you know, those who aren't Christian divorce rates. Um, We can look, we can go all the way down the list about moral issues um, that, you know, we should talk about because there's stuff like you and I care about. So sure. I guess I'm agreeing with you and that it's the kind of thing that we can talk about, but as far as trying to influence voting or political action, um, then the church becomes a political machine because then if the yeah. church is trying to influence policy on abortion, if we're talking about abortion from the pulpit, where are we going to stop? You know, Because yeah, life is important but so is marriage. You know, So is worship. So is all of these different things and then the church becomes a political machine um, which is something that I don't think it was meant to be Um, that we don't see in the early church or in Jesus's ministry. So,
0: I don't know. Political machine, what do you think?
2: I think everything is spiritual.
0: (laughs) Okay, Rob Bell. Right, (laughs) isn't that his book? Isn't that his
2: book? Isn't that his new book? It is a Rob Bell book, yes. Nice. Um, I don't think we can separate as well as we'd like to think we can separate. Jesus moved in and among the people regardless of where he was he was who he was where he was all the time and everything he touched was different because of it I think that's the way if that's what he did then that's how we're supposed to be so whether we are whatever we're doing whoever we're talking with every place needs to be better because we were there Mm. every opportunity every conversation is an opportunity to point toward jesus every opportunity every everything we do how we do it every interaction um and i'd even say for that lovely life of that bear (laughs) 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 um there's an opportunity to make that space better than it was than when we got there so that's a very high level way of saying you know and it You know, just that I'd I'd love to be able to separate life, our lives into tiny and very clear boxes that make it make it clear. But it it reality is, is it's very fluid and there's just no way that something I do in work doesn't affect what I do at home, doesn't affect. So. I would probably uh, both agree on some things that both of you said and I would probably push a little on others, but I'm okay with that. I think we can hold the tensions and still follow Jesus, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm.
2: which I think that's what makes Jesus amazing. Mm. He held a lot of tensions and was able to be who he was. Well, that landed him on the cross, of course. Mm. Um, but I, I think we have to be able to hold ch- tensions and to be I don't know how do I I don't even know how I'm just kind of putting this together not, not for the first time. this is what I think. Um, it's not all po- it, the church cannot stay outside of politics. Mm. It's impossible because the church is made up of people. The church is people, and politics isn't going to stay outside the church because they just won't. Um, <laughs>
0: but, but people always tried to push Jesus on a political Absolutely. stance, and his response
2: was always outside of it, always ab- always above it, around it. Yeah. Um, he never let him. He never got trapped. Yeah, we get trapped all the time.
0: Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, and
1: I think there's a difference too in Leslie versus the whole church as far as, as far as a, and that's my, I I think I said, I want to backtrack on what I said as far as the church and politics shouldn't be mixed. Like you said, we can't escape it. But as far as the church taking official stances, I want to go to what you said. We're following Jesus. That is the goal of the church should be the gospel and the gospel spread and nothing else. Um, Now you, we can't get away from politics, but that's not necessarily the church, but I'm also in the church. So it's this weird, you can't really, it's so nuanced. It's really hard to, well, what does that dynamic actually look like then?
0: Well, it could easily look like, uh, Jim stands up and tells you who to vote for and yeah. now I'm in politics and, and that yeah. does mm-hmm. happen and it, it doesn't happen here, mm-hmm. um, or a skyrocket, mm-hmm. but it does happen in some churches and that's, there's a lot of fear, uh, about that mm-hmm. happening. So there's, you know, that, that is, that's just a reality is um, that some preachers do uh, use their pulpit to, uh, I don't know, promote, a, a, mm. maybe it's a person running for office, maybe it's a certain agenda or something like that. That does happen. And and it, like you said, that is to our discredit and it, and the church loses, it, it dilutes the authority of the church mm. is what happens. And we lose people all over the place.
1: And like you said, the sanctity of life is a theological issue. And I think it's important for the church to talk about that, but not for the church to say, not for us to get up and say vote pro-life, anti-abortion because life is a theological issue. It's up for people to interpret it in their own nuances, but for us to preach life is beautiful and holy the life of everyone we're not just talking about the baby the life of the mother the life of the baby 10 years from now of the father and we're not saying this vocally but at least like when you look at jesus and you know the background of his situation a lot of his messages that seem theological only theological spiritual they're very much addressing exactly what's happening at that time like the tension between samaritans and jews right Jesus' words gain whole new meaning when you know the context behind what he's saying. And that's sort of our job is to sort of not riddle things, but, you know, speak about the truth of the gospel that's so applicable to our lives without you and I getting in the way with our own opinions, you know, or our own interpretations.
0: I mean, everybody has their biases. You have your life, you know, the way you've been raised and and the way you see the world. Sure. Uh, But at the same time, um, our job isn't to, to tell people exactly how to think. It's mm. to expose them to Christ and expose them to the Scriptures, and then they have to navigate a lot of... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be a little careful of what I'm saying, but it, you have to navigate life based upon what what you believe the Holy Spirit is revealing to you mm. along the way in the Scriptures. And Hey, uh, I want to circle back to Bonhoeffer for, for a minute. So you mentioned that... Um, you kind of are, are aligning yourself, maybe with with Bonhoeffer's thought. Bonhoeffer, of course, w- this was during World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, he believed that uh, Hitler was evil, mm-hmm. and that he would um, he was part of a, a plot to assassinate Hitler, which mm-hmm. is very political. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, so how is that? How does that um, play into what we're talking about?
1: Yeah. So, in in the books I've read and the scholars that I know, they somewhat disagree in interpretation on Bonhoeffer, but at least my interpretation of it was, and in reading his writings from prison, uh, he believed that what he was doing was sinful. <laughs> so him trying to kill Hitler was sinful. When he says, uh, on the question of Jews, I'm butchering the name of his most famous letter, but he's like, the Jew, the German church in the que- in the Jewish question. He says both things. He says, we should not be going up against the Roman government on this mandate where they're persecuting Jews and then on the flip side he says we need to be standing up for the Jewish people so he says like a, a both end, a weird both and uh, a both end approach at least that I interpret to say is that we're not supposed to be influencing policy but we're supposed to say hey the government is not holy and good mm. so not like trying to this needs to be the policy but saying we haven't this government is not gospel-centered we are following the gospel we are not aligning ourselves with the government but yeah I think he saw, b- how Bonhoeffer saw, is that acting out against the government is evil. Because when you look at Romans, all government is God-ordained. And the power flows from God to the rulers to the people. But sometimes that power is severed, is separated, where the government says, I don't care about God, I am the Christ. So I uh, like Hitler, right? The, the Fuhrer or whatever sure. you pronounce his name. Very much a messianic figure. At least he portrayed himself as this messianic figure that he was almost sort of like a quasi-god. Same with Caesar during Jesus' time. You Mm -hmm. know, there were rumors of, you know, the that Julius Caesar, you know, died and then he became God in heaven. You know, that's crazy stuff. And then that's where you say, you know what? Even though the government has God's authority, I'm going to rebel against it and then throw myself on God's grace. So that's how I would interpret it. And I can respect, even though I might not think, I don't think this is the political issue or thing for us to do to die on. One, Bonhoeffer wasn't just completely scathing that, you know, this is what you have to do, but he acted it out. And then he said, God, I might be wrong. You know, I just forgive me because he thought that he was sort of sinning and trying to kill Hitler, but he thought that what Hitler was doing was a greater evil. And I would align with him on that. So if you think this abortion issue, if you think that this is. The biggest issue that this is the hill that you're going to die on and you're convicted of that in the Holy Spirit, in the spirit of Bonhoeffer, just know that you're sinning. Or at least in Bonhoeffer's view, you would be sinning even if you decide to go that route. And so that you have a humility as you become a political activist for this issue. Hmm. So I, I mean, might not be making any sense. But you
2: mean for abortion?
1: For abortion or against it. I mean either either side you're of the You're saying coin. that
2: to fight politically for or against would be sinning?
1: Yes, um at least according to Bonho- Bonhoeffer someone as terrible as Hitler he still thought that his role and participation in the plot to overthrow him he felt tremendous guilt over it hmm. it was a very difficult decision for him to make but it's the decision that he made um
0: so i, I would i would say uh, the sin probably is a lot lower level yeah <laughs> yeah there's that. levels because, of sin because yeah. I, I think in terms of like today as as we as we post something on facebook um it can be sin. I mean, you might post something you believe with all your heart, but the way that, that, the the way it comes across can turn everybody off to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is sinful because we have to be, you know, as as uh innocent as doves and as wise as serpents or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, shrewdest, yeah. But I mean, we have to be so careful because we carry the name of Christ and so we have to um carry that name well. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me go through a couple more of these thoughts real quick before we go any further. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, 75% of Jehovah's Witnesses believe, according to that study, abortion should be illegal. 70% of Mormons say it should be illegal. And and most of these Christian groups point to uh, the Psalms, especially Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Um, now, uh, contrast that with 83% of American Jews, 83% believe that abortion should be legal. And the reason that that um, the theological reason for this seems to be that um, the Jewish law is derived from the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. and. So they look at at that psalm, and they say, yeah, it's it's poetry, it's nice, it's beautiful, it's poetry. Um, But they'll look at it, and they'll say in Genesis 2, verse 7, life begins when God breathed into Adam the breath of life. So Adam's body was perfectly formed, but until God breathed into Mm -hmm. him, there was no soul in Adam. And so they'll look at that passage, and they'll say, there you know a baby has doesn't have the breath of god in to, in them until they breathe their first breath and so that's kind of the theological thinking behind and and i've totally oversimplified that but um i think that's kind of the direction that that comes from and it's
1: important to do that though to say hey you can be a respectable theological person and stay on either stance on this issue at least i believe that yeah. i Some might not, but I think you can be a wise Christian and be on either side of this issue, which is for why me personally, it's not one of the ones that I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm going to maintain my gospel centered and focused mission Uh, because I do get the Jewish perspective. And I know we've joked around, but a very serious Bible passage also to consider is um, numbers three. And I'm not just going to drop the bombshell, but or numbers five. Sorry, just go read numbers five. It's probably too long for us to get into here. But there's also there's just cases on both sides where it's like I can see why you would think this way or that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, Muslim, um, American Muslims, 55% of American Muslims say abortion should be legal. Um, So it's like split. 55%. Really? And and they say uh, it's permitted for the first 120 days. Um, And then after that, after the first 120 days, the first four months, the fetus is ensouled. Um, They believe that there's that moment in time when now it, it moves from being a fetus to a human, it's mm-hmm. ensouled. And any time after that, then it shouldn't wow. be. So kind of fascinating theological perspectives from various groups. What are you thinking over there, Leslie?
2: So I'm thinking that I'm the only person in this conversation who's actually been pregnant. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well,
0: and also right. the
2: he only is. person in this conversation who had an infertility diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And the only person who has tried very hard, you know, through all kinds of means to get pregnant, um, and desire something like that so much, um, and been, and be told, no, that's not going to happen for you. Um, and we don't talk. We don't talk about infertility in the church. there's another one that we don't talk about and we don't talk about which
0: is amazing in that half the women in the Old Testament were infertile, and God blessed them, and that's where Jesus came from that line
2: it's It's interesting, even the way we talk about it, that you know that women were the ones who were infertile. We have no idea if that's true oh, or not Good point <laughs> you know we don't know yeah. um, but there's so much responsibility given to the woman when it comes to the ability to get pregnant, the ability to carry a child full term to have a safe delivery to be able to raise a child um, the man's got the pretty easy part and he could actually just take off mm. and th- there's there's a way we can talk about this very, Headily, right? Like, there's the knowledge that we have, right? Mm -hmm. We we can talk about it that way. But something changes in you Mm. when you're carrying a child, when you take that test and it's positive, or when you take that test and it's negative over and over and over again. Things you change as a person, as a woman, um, and at a cellular level your body changes, you're never the same. Whether you carry that child to full term by choice or p- not your choice, um, your physicality, you, the cells of your body change, you're never the same. And it's really easy to keep this conversation outside mm. of that. Yeah. That's why this conversation is so important, because half of the population will experience something like this at some point. Somebody's going to have um, an unexpected pregnancy, um, an high risk pregnancy, high risk pregnancy, an ectopic pregnancy. Unwanted. I really hate to say the word unwanted pregnancy. It's forced on them, but. It's something that I mean. It is a phrase that that is there and 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 used um, because we also have no idea. I can tell you, you don't, you just don't know what it is to have a child until you have the child, and for the reasons that I have stated, I mean, for the years of infertility that we went through, I sit. Very heavily (laughs) in, you know, because I wanted a baby so badly. Um, I mean, our daughter has her name because of part, I mean, that's part of her story, which I keep out of this right now. Um, But at the same time, that's my story. Yeah. Um, And I I feel this differently than everyone has their own story. You know, I, I look at my grandmother who um, had to have a DNC because she had an ectopic pregnancy, and that my, my goodness, what's a, di- well, a DNC? It's it's di- it, it would be a it's called dilation and cuterage, and it's a removal of the baby because the baby died, mm, right? Sure. And without having that, she would have died. Sure. Well, if my grandmother would have died, I would not be here. Mm. <laughs> Um, but if you think about my grandmother, I mean, my grandmother would be over 100 years old right now, and that means that was a very dangerous procedure for her, uh, legal or not, definitely not, I'm certain, um, Mm. but women have taken care of women for all of history, and what I'm missing in the conversation online, and even in person, is a tenderness Mm toward women whatever they choose mm. um, because regardless of what they choose it's not an easy choice it is not easy to raise a child and I can only imagine it would not be easy to make the decision to not mm. I don't I didn't make that choice Right. Um, but I wrote down some notes that I said that I think abortion is a symptom of a deeper and greater problem in society, and that is that we have forgotten how to show the love of Christ to each other. I think men have forgotten how, what it means, or have maybe never been taught what it means to truly love a woman instead of just see her as an object. Um, women have bought this idea that we have to present ourselves a certain way, or we're not valued in society very sexualized, very Mm -hmm. um, transactional relationships. Uh, So, as, you know, like I I was saying before we started recording, I can't raise six million (laughs) babies. I'm not, all you know, I, I can't do that. I can only affect change in my own circle. I can take in and help other women, I can take in other children, I can I can do that, I can love, but I can vote. But what I want to do in this conversation is to be open yeah. and to hear another person's story and to walk alongside them. Because as I read scripture, I think that's what Jesus would have done. I think he would have walked alongside and he didn't stone the woman you know caught in adultery yeah and again let's just note that it was only the woman <laughs> who was going to be punished um women uh, jesus raised the status of women wherever he went he cared for them he cared for them while he was dying on the cross as he takes care of mary to make sure that she doesn't have to become um oh you know a, uh, n- with no one to care for her because she didn't have a husband, Jesus was the oldest son at the time, so he was caring for Mary, and even and then he
0: hung on the cross and
2: and made sure that she had someone to care for her. So if if we can just start this small, and that's how change happens, small and at the ground level, and it can swell. But uh, uh, so, what does that mean for for us? I don't. I appreciate what you're sharing
0: because here I am I'm trying to keep it on theological level, you know, and you're like bringing the humanity into it. <laughs> and and I think that's critical. Um because I've never had a baby. I mean I have 3 kids, but I never carried any of them. Um that and JD, I mean, you know, we're we're on you know, we come from the other side. We're, we're because we we can't know that, that change that that takes place so but i think
2: th- that's part of the rage with the decision is that it is a decision being handed down on women yeah. again and that is historically what has happened and it feels to many women like a huge you know setback like women's rights are Really in danger mm-hmm. um on multiple levels, not just this one and
0: um of course, the counter argument is the baby who is also absolutely. A human their rights are being taken away before they they've even never had. been given yeah.
2: absolutely i it is it is an it is a painful conversation, yeah, yeah, but one I think that really needs to be filled yeah. with love and grace,
1: and into what you said you know this is Monday matters, Tuesday today. Tuesday matters. But I think that's, if there's any takeaway from this conversation, I think it's that, you know, being right feels good inside, but it does nothing to spread the gospel. At the end of the day, you might be wrong on this issue. I know I'm, because here's the thing I've sort of been talking theologically. Y'all don't know what I actually think deep down. Because I, and I've sort of shared, you know, Jim, what last week with Pastor Jim, I'm, oh, I'm definitely in one of these camps, you know, but at the end of the day, I could be very, very wrong. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway is to be human. What, you know, who, who can I care for in my community? Who can I care for in my church? Who's someone who had to it, make a difficult decision that I can make meals for, that I can comfort, that I can share the love and grace of God with that's still there, even if they feel like they made a good decision or a bad? Uh, what single mothers in my community can I help care for? Uh, what struggling families can I care for? There's a lot of practical ways, you know, to see this issue as people not at being right or being wrong and that's that's why this matters so much Is having this conversation is at the end of the day our goal is to spread the love of jesus and that is action it's action Mm -hmm. and so we can be right we can be wrong um you know i could be right or wrong about how involved the church should be in politics but at the end of the day you know when i sit there in front of jesus you know it's not that's not going to matter what I thought what's going to matter is hey, did you take care of that person in your community that family? Um, that You know, that's what's going to matter at the end of the day. And I just hope that, you know, we do that and we all can be convicted of that is we can do we can do better uh, yeah. taking care of the people in our community, sacrificing for them, loving them.
2: I think it's absolutely true. We can all do better. We can all do more. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's easy to do more. Mm. It's easier to do less. But it's it's
0: easy to rage, too.
2: It's too simple to rage. But we don't think it's easy to do more because it requires time and it Mm -hmm. requires effort. But it is is not hard to pick up the phone and call one of the local agencies and say, hey, can I volunteer? Hey, can I bring something? Or, you know, shoot, even look on your... um, facebook things for free in the walla walla area there's always um there's always a mom looking for a car seat or clothes or something like that there should actually be no needs the church in a community when we should there should be no needs of course we have to know what the needs are but we should be here to take care of them that's a heavy word should sorry about that yeah you should have done us i did i did (laughs) but at the end of the day I I'm going to agree with JD there that it's what we do that matters. Jesus said they'll know we follow him by by our love yeah. for each other. And when you love someone, you take care of them.
0: At risk of circling back to the theological piece. <laughs> I just wanted I just want for the record um there's one more category, American Catholics, and let's just throw this these numbers out because I think these uh, are helpful for us. American Catholics are largely split. 56% support legal abortion and 42% oppose. Um, and that's despite the fact that um, the Pope and, and really the Catholic leadership has has opposed um, abortion pretty you know, staunchly uh, over the years. So anyway, uh, fascinating discussion i don't know that we've solved anything um maybe we just started having having a, a discussion that maybe you can have at home with with your circle um with grace and with humility and uh patience um and and listen more than you talk mm. i think maybe that's probably uh where we where we're missing some stuff along mm. the way too so and maybe get active. That's probably the the big takeaway. Um
2: like get really active. Don't just Like what? Post. Foster a kid? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and if
1: you have questions about how to get active, reach out to us. We'll put you, we'll put you to work. <laughs> we will or we'll find the agencies that, you know, need yeah. help because we're we're always experiencing. I okay. know at Skyrock and I know here at Blue Mountain there's always people calling asking for help. We're connected with agencies in town. You know, we Strive to care after widows and orphans in their distress with the fatherless, the hungry, the poor, with everything or else we're not doing our job. So, yeah. Yeah. um, No excuse to not
0: get active. The other thought I had before we close, um, some of the language around uh, abortion, like pro-life, suggests that the other side's pro-death. And and that's pretty (laughs) inflammatory. Yeah. Uh, The same with pro-choice. implies that the other side wants to just take away all your freedom, you know? And so, um, even, even our language is, uh, has, has a hook in it. And so, um, walk with caution hmm. and love. Um, yeah. What else? Any, anything else? Well, Hey, thanks for the special conversation. I, I don't know uh, where where that lands with you, but uh, I think it was important to at least uh, begin a conversation on it. So, thank you, Leslie, for joining us on Monday Matters this Tuesday evening. Yeah. And uh, well,
1: thanks to you. I know you were the one that said, "Hey, we really need to do a podcast episode on this." And yeah, I think that that's so important.
0: So, <coughs> all right, good stuff. we'll catch you next Monday. And uh, thanks for joining us.